This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. Retention, customer experience, and post-purchase. Those are the topics of choice here on The Exchange. And generally, we're having those conversations with marketers, e-com managers, and support teams. And a common thing I hear from people listening to the show is, that's a cool tactic, or that's a cool strategy, but my finance team's never going to go for it, or the numbers person on my team would never go for it. So Tim and I went out and we brought the numbers person onto the show. Today, we have Dave Wardell, CFO of Chubby Shorts, joining us. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks. Appreciate it, Alex. Appreciate it, Tim. Great to be here. Great to have you. Awesome. Now, before we jump or get too deep into anything, do you want to quickly give our listeners just an overview of Chubby's and your role with the company? Uh, yeah, for sure. So uh, Chubby's was founded in 2011. Uh, originally headquartered in San Francisco. Now we've uh, we've actually moved the company, part of a, a little bit of an exodus, uh, out to Austin, Texas. And, and we're happy to be here. Pretty excited. Um, in terms of the brand, you know, we create clothing and content for uh, for really the Friday at five feeling. Everyone knows that feeling. It's when your uh, your week ends, your week you know your weekend begins, and uh, and you know while that's kind of blended uh, blended together a little bit more recent uh, days, um, you know hopefully we can still bring that feeling to people uh, every single day of the week, every single uh, day of the year, and uh, you know we started with proper length men's shorts. Uh, we prefer not to call them short shorts because that's redundant. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then you know, expanded into stretch swim trunks. Uh, we really love our line of, of sports shorts that, that uh, you know, we've been growing and bringing out recently to market, loungewear, um, and some, uh, some pretty loud shirts that you've, uh, that you've probably seen out in the wild before and you know, may, may or may not recognize as ours. But, uh, but if you take a look at the site, you'll start to rec- uh, see them a little bit more often. Yeah, I mean, you guys definitely have a, 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 a an easy to distinguish look. I would say. <laughs> yeah, appreciate uh, it. I can I can always tell when someone's wearing chubbies. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it's it's the uh, goal is uh, part of the goal is like opposite of your classic office work uniform, mm-hmm. uh, and so we want it to be comfortable. Um, we you know uh, encourage an active lifestyle and all and all that uh, jazz that's related to it. So we have you here as the finance guy. You're talking to two marketers who are not finance guys. And we talk to a lot of marketers all the time in the industry. And the, the things we hear consistently are, I want to offer free returns, but my finance team won't let me. Or we need to recoup costs and we don't want the experience to be too easy. So we're talking to the numbers guy now. So let's get it like from the horse's mouth. So how do you view a return policy at Chubby's? Like, do you think about it as a cost-cutting area? Do you think about it as a customer experience investment? This is like, this is, you're representing all finance guys now to talk through the way that you think about these things. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Wow, wow. Um, sorry to everyone out there when I butcher this. Um, kind of, It's an evolution. I would, it even mirrors uh, or follows my evolution at, at Chubby's. You know, I've been, I've been here uh, seven years now joined out of PwC. I was doing accounting and consulting there. Um, so, re- you know, recovering auditor uh, over here. And, and you know, when I came straight out, yeah, definitely uh, a singular viewpoint, um, really specific. Uh, and those were early days of e-com. Um, you had your nasty gals, your bonobo. So the world, um, you hadn't seen the proliferation that you started to see in 2014, 2015 um, come to life yet. Uh, and so a lot of it was early days. Um, and there wasn't a lot of tech uh, back then too. And so really those, those, 
those first years, it was we were just struggling to keep up with uh, with placing manual exchange orders in Shopify. It was before they released the draft order functionality, and so you know uh, people, you know, we had people on the team that were sitting there re-entering a customer's information and applying a discount code, and that was how we placed exchanges um, and uh, manually like processing. We had people's chicken scratch on the pieces of paper, and so yeah, it was it was certainly it was a terrible customer experience. It was absolutely just a cost center. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, finding Loop later on, um, I think, helped us to start thinking about that differently. But, um, you know, overall, we, we've evolved how we think about returns in general. You know, we try to take a holistic approach to it around merchandising and, and the operations side of things um, and that customer experience. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's become something where we don't want to slot it into this is just... Uh, this is just sucking up our customer service team's time. This is just a pain in the butt that we have to offer um, to stay to stay competitive. Uh, we think that we can be different. We think that it's a it's a it's another touch point with the customer, uh, and so let's make it the best possible touch point that we can, and not give up that um, not 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 give that up into a uh, automatically negative experience of just trying to mitigate the risk on. That does not sound like the answer of a finance guy. So there have uh, yeah, um, you know, I've been brainwashed by the mar- our marketing <laughs> and digital team. Uh, no, I mean, I think it's um, you know, the costs are there. You know, you have your costs, but they're they're pretty easily identifiable. You know, you have your inventory costs, you got your waste, you have your reverse logistics cost, uh, you have your cost from marketing up front. Where now, like, if that customer is refunding, well, kind of SOL on that. That sucks. You just paid, uh, you know. Uh, depending on your CPAs, um, potentially you know fifty, a hundred, two hundred bucks to to acquire that customer on Facebook. Um, that's a bummer for sure. And so uh, you have to grapple with that. Um, we we try to look at it as a place where uh, where we can uh, drive different customer behavior, where we can convince people instead of refunding to exchange all that stuff, and uh, and so. Um, few different vectors there. Happy to jump into them or you know get into it however you guys like. Yeah. Before we get too deep on any of those, I have one question for you, Dave, that I think is probably the most disputed thing that Tim and I hear in returns. Especially this is the one that always goes, my finance person just won't let me do that. So yeah. what is your stance on offering free returns or free return shipping? Because you get a lot of finance people saying, I'm not going to cover that cost. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, right? Because it's so um, there's an obvious first answer there, which is, man, it's got to be hard for us to really make up that cost over time. You know, let's call especially reverse logistics. There's a premium to that compared to even your outbound shipping cost, right? So you're going to be paying two, three, four bucks more if you use UPS for the reverse logistics solution. You're going to be paying two, three, four bucks more for that than you would for the same outbound shipping method. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the processing, you have all that stuff. Uh, and it's a pain in the butt, um, uh, super inefficient. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's it, the obvious answer is yeah, like if this costs us 10 to 12 bucks or whatever the heck it is to, to ship something back, we got to be trying to recuperate that as much as possible. Um, I just think that uh, there's two things that I think about. One is competitive landscape. Like there's a certain amount of defensibility and there's a certain amount of like the Amazon and other retailers effects that, that you just, it's undeniable. And so to stick your head in the sand and just think that, that um, one, there's a lot of really smart people 
at those companies. And so, you know, if they're doing it, you don't need to recreate the wheel every time. You should take some notes from the pros. Um, and, uh, and two, like think of, you know, like, think about the, think about your overall relationship with this customer, right? Like if you're an e-commerce company, if you're an e-commerce focused brand, a digitally native, you know, vertical brand, um, you need to be thinking about lifetime value and how you measure increasing that over time. Uh, and, returns and exchanges are just a part of that. And so I, I think that um, if you don't take that lifetime relationship with the customer into account, you're just missing the whole of the equation. Um, you're looking at one single transaction. Like, why would you just look at that one transaction? Uh, you, you need to be looking at it, uh, encompassing the entirety of, of what you expect from that customer. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you, know, you, you can't get out over your skis and be spending into negative zone when you're acquiring a customer, for example, like maybe that's where you draw the line. And so likewise, like think about that on your reverse logistics costs, think about that on your returns costs and, and um, what, uh, you know, what does it mean when a customer comes back to you time and time and again? And, and, you know, can you change that um, by offering uh, free returns? Uh, most of the stuff you can test. Like, you know, at the very least, you can just test some banners on the on the site and see if it changes your conversion rate alone. Right. Um, and you know what your contribution margin is, and you just apply that and say, okay, what you know, what's you know, what are what kind of dollars are we going to make up here just from that alone? Um, so I would say that's uh, that's my personal take. Covered a few things there, but uh, but you know, I think it's I I would say a little myopic to just look at the um just look at that one off cost um without taking into account uh the entirety of the customer relationship you you said so much stuff there that i feel like alex and i have Sorry, said yeah. to one another. no no it's 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 <laughs> like it's great hearing you say it cuz alex and i talk about this stuff all the time and he, hearing it from someone at Chubby's and like, cause Chubby's, we, I mean, we've worked with you guys a while. You're obviously like very ahead of the curve, very forward thinking with a lot of this. And I actually want to go back a sec because one of the things you were saying, it sounds like there was an evolution. So there was a time where you thought about it as a cost center and we need to reduce the amount of returns that are happening. But there was an evolution where now you're not really in that camp. I mean, responsibly, of course, we want to make sure that we're not just like giving stuff away, but now you're viewing it as like an experience center, as, as a, as important a part of the experience as anything else. I'm just curious, like, do you, can you think back to what made you change your thinking about that? Or like, was there something specific or do you guys just feel like you, it was just sort of a natural evolution? I would say twofold. Uh, one, advancements in technology. So not just Shopify and not just Loop, but, you know, Shopify changes uh, us getting a better understanding of our data and in particular order economics. Um, so knowing what a standard average order um, from AOV down to down to you know contribution profit, uh, but then also understanding new versus repeat, understanding a standard you know returned order, you know how much money are we losing on that um, versus an exchange order, like how much money are we keeping in the business from a contribution perspective on that, uh, and so that was a that was definitely a big turning point was was getting a much tighter handle on that, having more reliable information, um, more actionable, getting that synced up with the with the ecom team. Making sure that you know our chief digital officer and I were were laser focused on making sure we had the we were working off the same information. There was critical. Um, speaking got to speak the same language as that person. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, I would say technology front too. Um, you know, it's 
before, there wasn't really a way to make it anything but a cost center. Um, when, when it was just people, you know, had a, there's a prepaid return label and people were shipping it back and they would write on a piece of paper, you know, if they wanted to exchange it for something and half the time you couldn't even tell what that writing was. Like there is no way to interpret that other than a, um, other than a cost center. And so I think what opens that up, um, is software like loop that, uh, that can allow you to manage that customer experience in a different way. So. Well, 100% agree with that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I promise that wasn't meant to be too salesy. I actually just do believe that for everyone listening. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll take it. Um, you're talking a lot about a lot of different metrics, a lot of different KPIs in your last couple of answers there. From, from a finance perspective, what do you believe is the most important KPI to be looking at when you're evaluating the returns process. You know, I, I wouldn't say that every business is necessarily going to be perfectly aligned with this, but you know, we are laser focused on profit and profit growth. Um, we have been for a few years now. Uh, it has served us well. Um, we're in a place uh, that we probably wouldn't have been if we wouldn't have started making structural changes to the business, um, really starting, I would say, in 2015, 2016. Uh, and so for us, Profit is the first, second, and third goal. Um, now, a lot of things go into that. You know, you need to have a great brand that resonates with your community. Um, you need to uh, create innovative products. Um, you, you know, you, there's a ton of strategies that 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 flow into that. Um, and like you're talking to the finance guy, so obviously, I'm going to say our most important goal um, uh, as a company is uh, is profit. But um, but we started changing our tune, um, and you know, t- even talking to the team internally. Uh, we we focus much less on sales um, and much more on profit um, uh, on a day to day, week to week basis um, than we ever have before um, in the last two years in particular. So, um, when it comes back down to it, uh, there's uh, uh, you know refunds and exchanges and returns in general are a really really quick way for you to get upside down in your economics as an ecom business. Um, and so managing that super intelligently is really important. Like retailers in the past didn't have to because most of them were selling in person. You know, return rates were really low. Um, we we have stores, so I know that because I see the difference between the two. And so uh, and so it it makes a big difference. And so it, you know, it, it, some of the return stuff starts earlier. Merchandising into low return products actively, um, paying attention to that in your um, in your analysis, uh, thinking about you know when you acquire a customer on a pair of swim trunks, what's their return rate on that? Is it higher or lower? Like, do you want to be, um, you know, how, how does that change their, their kind of path over the, the course of their life with the company? Um, uh, having better QC and, and more consistent fit. Um, those are all the things that factor into it, I would say, but, um, but the, uh, that are also really key metrics for us for returns. Um, but for returns in general, all that work is meant to um, to really focus in on uh, driving lifetime value and driving profits in the business. Like those are the two that it just time and again comes down to, and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. So TLDR profitability it makes sense. And Dave, we've talked we've talked before about this in terms of kind of viewing the return strategy in kind of three different buckets. And the fact that you're evaluating the returns, your returns from a profit standpoint, it makes sense that to look at it this way. And those three things that we've talked about in the past are one, reducing and eliminating net zero customers. 
Number two is making sure that you're pushing people into that exchange over a refund, which you already talked about. And we've been talking about this the whole time, which is returning that cost center or what has historically been seen as a cost center into a profit center. So I wanted to go into each of those in a little bit more detail. Maybe we'll, we'll pick at them kind of one at a time. So maybe the first time I heard you talk about this, it required a little bit of explaining. So maybe give our listeners a little bit more color on what you mean by reducing net zero customers. For sure. Yeah. Uh, net zero customers is, is the worst customer you can have. Um, you know, customers over time are going to return stuff. Like just accept that it's e-commerce. You're going to have stuff that doesn't fit right. Like you're going to have uh, stuff that the color shows up and it just didn't, you know, come to life in, in the photos on the website, like it does in person or that they just, you know, they buy a few things and they're planning to return stuff. And so that's not necessarily bad behavior, right? Like, um, the really, really ones that you need to watch out for are the net zero customers. Cause right. You're going to be paying your, your, your 50 to a hundred dollar CPAs, I'm not saying that's what we pay, but you know, I'm just throwing that out there as a, as a general range in the, in the industry. Um, but, uh, you're gonna be paying that, you know, your 50 to a hundred dollar CPAs. Uh, and then, you know, that customer, um, is, comes back and refunds that order you're you're out like not just that you're out the shipping costs the 10 to 20 dollars that you spent on the free shipping probably most people hopefully should be doing if they're not they should be doing an ab test to actually evaluate that and then you're you know if you have free shipping on the returns you're going to be out that and so all of a sudden you know you could be adding that up you could be out on that customer you know cash wise on that net zero customer like 100 bucks and you start to extrapolate that that gets dangerous in a hurry. That's how you get upside down in, in particular. Um, and those are all net zero lifetime value, right? You call them net zero customers. They're net zero lifetime value, right? Because they're, uh, they're technically net negative lifetime value. Um, that's, not, uh, that's not a good way to grow your business and, and still be in business a couple of years down the road. So that's why we call them net zeros. They, you know, they've purchased once and they've refunded once. Technically, yeah, could purchase twice, refund twice, and and really they're dangerous because they're actually net negative um, in terms of profits for the business. As part of that, you know, if you can convince a customer to move from a refund to an exchange, then automatically, you know, maybe you would have been losing twenty five, fifty plus dollars on that customer, especially a first time customer where you just had to pay to acquire them expensively. You can at least keep some profit in the business. Now you're going to lose some because you have shipping back and forth. But overall, your expectation is, you know, you hopefully, at least this is how we approach it, we're profitable on the first order. And so we may cut into that profit a little bit more by having to return ship something and then ship a new item back out. Um, but there should be some dollars left over there. And so sure. uh, that, you know, that all of a sudden, that, that lifetime value of that customer each time is now a positive number instead of you know a negative number, um, and so really changes the equation on the on the LTV front too. And, and is that something that you you and your team are actively looking at? Is like if someone processes a return, what's their LTV versus someone who doesn't process a return? Like, is that are those metrics that you guys are constantly tuned into? Because I know you talked about testing and just really being in tune, obviously, with the, the, the financials of every single customer you're acquiring. So is that, maybe talk to us a little bit about how you look at LTV relative to returns. I mean, we hadn't 
there was a long time where we weren't. So I'm not going to act like we were like always doing this. <laughs> you know, a lot of this is like I mentioned, evolution, incremental, you know, figuring one thing out and then another, and then maybe you don't do anything for six months and then something clicks again, or you, you know, you refocus your attention back to it. Um, so um, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's definitely, there's definitely a, the, the incremental evolution there. Um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, when we look at LTVs, certainly we see like a pretty, um, a pretty stark difference in customers who have uh, returned a product versus not. Uh, and so there's a question of correlation versus causation there, right? Like that's not going to be a perfect number because more pro- more orders you have, probably more likely you are to um, to return something over time. But you know we see well over a hundred percent higher LTVs on customers who have hit return, who have experienced returns versus not. Wow. Um, and that's. That's like crazy, right? That's huge, huge numbers. Um, and at the very, very, very least, like table stakes, is that uh, that just means that your most valuable customers are experiencing your return platform. So at the, at the very least, your most valuable customers are doing returns. So that's one reason itself to be paying attention to it and trying to optimize. Sure. But, you know, our take and we're, and we're actually trying to do a little bit more analysis into this, you know, over the coming months is, you know, can we get a little bit more into the causation and, and, and how much is, uh, is, you know, loop, uh, and, you know, a good returns process and particularly exchanges driving higher lifetime value, like early returns. Sorry, I don't want to use a, not use returns too much. Um, uh, like some early information is looking like there's, you know, at least a 10% uplift in lifetime value um, uh, on on exchanges versus refunds. Now that makes sense, right? Because you're keeping um, sales in-house versus out-of-house, but it just further reinforces the whole dang point. Like <laughs> you want to be pushing people towards exchanges. You're keeping more dollars in your, uh, like in your bank account. Exchange over refund. We'll say it again and again and again on the marketing team here at Loop. Yeah. That's awesome. And Dave, at the beginning of this, we were talking about cost center versus profit center. Do you have any examples of how Chubby's is turning returns into a profit center? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's our senior ops manager. It's one of his priorities for Q1 um, uh, to continue working on. Uh, it's, you know, we believe it's an iterative process, just just like anything else in, in uh, digital commerce. Um, it's, uh, you're not going to like figure out each little uh, nitty gritty point right away. Uh, you know, one thing that we did with you guys um, this last summer is, uh, is we had, uh, we had had, um, I guess let's call it like an architectural or structural issue in our Shopify shopping cart that we needed to change a couple things on uh, how it worked. Uh, this is highly technical language, by the way. So, you know, let me know if you need me to break it down in something more simple. Um, <laughs> had to change a couple things of how it worked in the shopping cart. And that enabled a customer when they were going through the loop returns flow, um, instead of taking their credit with the items that they're returning, sending back, and um, just picking one item and getting the rest as like a refund or a gift card, um, it allowed us to open that up to many items. So all of a sudden, you know, if you're returning one item or two items or three items, you know, all of a, let's say you have 150 bucks in credit. Before we just you we only had it to where you could only now then pick one item, um, and so it it's kind of a perfect little case study for like how does this exchange thing work? Like if you can incentivize people to to do more exchanges and 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 create the like the 
order flow in a really cl smooth, clean way uh, for the customer experience to do so? Like, are they going to buy more things? And it's like, yes, one, not 100% more things, but 100% <laughs> yes, they're going to do right. that. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think we, we, um, you know, one measure we, we look at with you guys is, is upsells. Um, and so that's, you know, how often are we driving revenue, um, beyond what that, what that credit enabled. So, you know, again, back to 150 bucks someone had in the cart. Um, uh, how often are we convincing them, uh, because they're going back onto the site? And buy and like essentially kind of going through a shopping experience again. How many times are are we convincing them to uh, to spend more? Spend 160 bucks. Spend 170 bucks. Um, and so we actually saw that rate, the rate of upsell per return transaction. So whether it's a refund or exchange, let's lump it all into return. Um, we saw that rate increase by like 50% when we made those structural changes in the shopping cart. The the things that we changed that I talked about earlier. Um, and so. Like that, you know, it's kind of crazy, right? Because we've been with you guys for a long time, um, and and you know, we we had just deprioritized that, kicked the can down the road, um, uh, random conversation <laughs> like spurred it, and and so we were able to to slot it into the product roadmap, uh, and just instantly, um, fifty percent uplift in like the revenue that we're driving per uh, transaction, and like if you think about that, you know there's still shipping costs in there that we need to, that we're going to need to outweigh to really make it a profit profit center in that each individual transaction. Sure. But you know, we're, we're generating over $2 per return and that's not in, in upsell revenue. Um, and so that's, I, for me, I look at that. I'm like, that's, you know, let's, I apply my contribution margin to that um, to get some, you know, rough swipes and, that's like some serious dollars over the course of the year at our volumes that we're generating in profits back into the business, um, at, you know, out of, out of the, the this loop exchange flow. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty it's pretty rad. I was stoked. Uh, we've been, I you know, I've been singing the praises of the team that made that happen. Um, uh, probably two to three different, you know, all hands meetings now, <laughs> just to remind everyone to like. It's like little things like that sometimes that you just need to like prioritize and, and change and revisit uh, that can that can have a really cool impact on the business. It's an unbelievable result, like two dollars per return. And I guess like it really ties into what you were saying. If if the main goal of how you should be looking at your returns process is profit, there's something that you can like it, this is not a hand wavy, like we're not looking at future predicting LTV out. Like there's something where you can speak to the profitability right away. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, uh, you know, I I love it. It's great. When we kicked this episode off, we talked about we usually talk to marketers, and we're bringing on the finance guy. And it's been it's been interesting because I mean, you talk I think more like a marketing guy than maybe you realize. So <laughs> uh -oh. don't let Tom hear that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll sign that statement. I, you do. Yeah. You, I mean, because you, you're talking. I mean, you're obviously talking about the numbers, but it's the numbers and in the context of a customer experience. So what advice would you give to marketing and support leaders who like naturally, I think in a lot of time, in a lot of cases, they have to go through the finance guy. I mean, they, they have to say like, look, this is the strategy. We want to, we want to start automating returns. We want to start doing X, Y, and Z. A lot of times, I think most of the time you're in that, you or your counterpart is in that conversation. What do you need to hear to be convinced? Like, yeah, we'll, 
we'll dip our toes in the water. We'll start with an A-B test or, or we'll go kind of full boat into the whole thing. What, what are you listening for in that conversation? If the marketing team doesn't know order economics really well, like if they don't understand the, the revenues down to profits equation on a per order basis um, across a few different types of orders, like I talked about earlier, uh, I, that's our, like, that's our link. That's, that's our common language um, that I share with our, our, you know, our uh, probably like a lot of um, digital first companies out there, like our digital team and our marketing team are the same, right? They both roll up into Tom, our chief digital officer. And so that's his and my common language. That's, you know, our direct reports common language with each other um, when they're working together. Uh, and so that's, um, in my opinion, probably the single most important thing because they, you know, as the marketer or the digital e-commerce person or the product manager or the customer service person, whoever it is, that's not the finance person, you know, um, if they can put it into those terms, it's hard to argue with. Mm-hmm. You know, like that makes it really difficult for me to say, oh, wait, we're going to be offsetting or even like offsetting a significant amount of the cost of this. Uh, that's like game changing. That's different. Um, and, you know, I don't, you know, you get a, uh, you get a bad rap for being a no person. Um, being the finance guy, right? Like that's just kind of that's like it's partially your job. Like yeah, kind of yeah. you're you're there to like step on the gas, cool people's jets a little bit. You're the, you're the gatekeeper. You you hold all the keys. Exactly. You're probing. You're trying to you know figure out where this person's wrong. You know, it's you, hopefully you're not thinking like that too much because hopefully you should be partnering with that person and trust that they're like trying to do their job well. Um, so there's a there's definitely some trust some trust that needs to go into it. Um, but I think that trust is generated from like a mutual understanding understanding of what are the most important things for how we run this business and for you know driving sales and profit growth in your, in that PL. And so that is uh, from a long-term perspective, that's lifetime value. Uh, but for on a transactional perspective, that is understanding the right order economics. And those go hand in hand. Um, you know, uh, you know, you can define lifetime value as like at gross revenue, at net revenue, at gross profit at contribution profit like it's like you know everyone has 10 different ways of defining it but um ultimately those order economics and the lifetime value go hand in hand together and so if the two parties can kind of uh, have a good understanding of that together have agreement are, are tracking that weekly understanding where those things stand um how you're you know how your CPAs factor into it um how your fulfillment and shipping costs factor into it all you know all those things um then, uh, then it gives you the good starting point uh, to have the conversation um, and and build it from there. Build build the case from there. <laughs> surprise, surprise! It sounds like from the finance team. If you want to get buy in on this, you got to be talking about profitability. But yeah. from what you're saying there, I think what I would take away is it. You can talk about it from the LTV perspective, but I like what you're talking about with the order economics because it's a lot. It's a it's a lot more black and white with order economics than it is with LTV. So I think my biggest takeaway there for anyone listening that's trying to sell this in, it would be like, start with start with something a little bit more transactional. It's probably an easier sell and then build up on that use case with the LTV. And I think this is a, a great spot to, to kind of summarize what we've been talking about here today, Dave. And I think the biggest things are looking at your returns, process, policy, in terms of profitability. And the way that we're looking at it here is reducing those net zero customers, or as Dave is saying, they're actually net negative customers. We want to be reducing as many of those as possible. 
something I will say till I'm blue in the face is you do you want more exchanges and less refunds. The more we can incentivize and push people to an exchange, the better. And just generally treating the entire returns process as a profit center or trying to make it as much of a profit center as it can. And Dave, thanks for joining us today. This has been fantastic. Before we let you go, though, is there anywhere where people listening today can kind of keep tabs on what you're up to, like LinkedIn, Twitter, anywhere where they can follow you? Oh, man, I don't tweet too much. I got a private Instagram profile. Um, <laughs> but definitely, I mean, uh, totally fine to, to add me on LinkedIn or, or ping me with a question on there. It's probably the easiest place to find me. I'm just Dave Wardell and um, Chubby's. So, uh, ha- you know, happy to, uh, happy to pay it forward. I think we've been the beneficiary of a lot of great knowledge across the e-commerce and, and brand ecosystem over, over the years. And, and, uh, you know, always help, uh, you know, happy to provide a snippet if I can, I'm not going to say it's necessarily wisdom, but, uh, probably something we've made a mistake on before that I can, you know, save you a little bit of time on hopefully. No, it's definitely wisdom. A lot of good wisdom in here. That's right. <laughs> nah, happy, happy to do it. And appreciate you guys having me on. It was, it was great chatting. I love what you guys are doing. And, um, you know, it's, uh, and, and love what you guys are continuing to innovate there. I think it's, uh, uh, it's the unsexy side of the business, right? But like, I'm responsible for the unsexy side of the business. So it definitely resonates with me. Hey, we're making it sexy though. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Cheers, guys. That's been The Exchange presented by Luke, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.